You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Hey there, everybody. This is Danny Anderson thanking you for listening to another episode of the Sectarian Review podcast. As always, I'm recording here from Mount Aloysius College in Crescent, Pennsylvania. And uh, today I'm very excited to uh, introduce my guest today. His name is uh, Delvin Case, and he is a music professor, and he has a really interesting approach to um, secular music um, and sacred music, but today we'll mostly be focusing on uh, secular music and Christianity. And uh, um, Delvin reached out to me somehow on Twitter, and uh, and we sort of started talking and set this up. So I'm very excited to uh, introduce Delvin Case. Delvin, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh my gosh, thank you. This is a, uh, it's a perfect fit uh, for the kind of uh, approach we take to culture. And uh, so I'm really, really excited to talk to you. Why don't you tell, so you recently had an article in uh, Sojourners about um, the prophetic power of popular music. And, uh, and uh, why don't you talk us through your work and, uh, and sort of what, how that culminates in that article? Yeah, well, uh, so um I'm big Sojourners fans of, you know, progressive social justice oriented, you know, Christian magazine. And um, uh, I am a professor uh, in the music department at a secular liberal arts college outside of Boston called Wheaton College, which is actually unaffiliated with the fam- more famous Christian Wheaton College, which is out in Illinois. Um, though I work with those people all the time um, because I'm a, you know, I'm a practicing Christian, though I'm significantly more liberal probably than the folks over there. Um, and um, I'm in the music department. I was trained classically as a composer and a conductor, but I've always been a big fan of, of pop music. I never really got into like Christian pop per se. I've just always loved secular rock music and pop. Um, and I think maybe being raised Catholic, uh, I didn't necessarily see a, such a huge dichotomy between the sacred and between sacred and secular culture, if you will, especially in music. Um, a long story, uh, but basically, I didn't really have much of experience with like someone, some youth pastor telling me. Oh, you really should be listening to this kind of pop music, you know. I mean, it sounds just like the stuff you like, but it's got songs, words about Jesus. So I never got that. Never was like, never was like a really big part of me. Um, but for whatever for, for whatever reason, um, I, I've maintained um, an interest in figuring out the connections between my own faith and and music in general. It's a lot easier with classical music because so much of it is sacred settings of the Bible, whether it's Bach or Palestrina or, or Messian or even, you know, contemporary composers. Um, you know, there's a long tradition of taking the Bible and writing pieces that are to be used in a church service for worship or to be listened to or a great concert work like Mozart's Requiem, where you hear it in a secular, you know, concert setting, but it is a setting of the Requiem mass, you know, and it can function devotionally for Christians today or as a secular piece of music. And that's fine. Um, I've always loved pop music though. And um, uh, I never really got into the Christian pop music. So as I've, as a Christian, as someone who's been really deeply interested in the ways that music mediates faith and mediates the Bible, I've always been intrigued when I come across a piece of, you know, secular pop music, rock, hip hop, metal, punk, whatever, that isn't just spiritual. Cause a lot of songs frankly are, 
but actually intentionally and explicitly, literally explicitly sometimes, <laughs> uh, uh, references or engages with the Christian tradition. So uh, about 10 years ago, I had the opportunity to teach a, a college, uh, college class, of, I'm sorry, a class for first-year students at Wheaton on any topic I wanted. And I thought, well, how am I going to get you know, a room full of 18-year-olds to talk? Well, everyone's got an opinion about two things, pop music or Jesus, basically. And so I basically decided to, have to try to teach a class on how Jesus has shown up in pop music. Because I knew I Jesus Take the Wheel by Carrie Underwood and Drop Kick Me Jesus Through the Goalposts of Life. <laughs> this is like 2004, so I believe that was the year of Jesus Walks by Kanye West. This was the pre-Christian and, frankly, much more awesome Kanye. <laughs> uh, uh, break my heart. Uh, so, you know, it was kind of happening. He'd just been on Rolling Stone with, like, a magazine with, like, a crown of thorns. Um, so, and, you know, I taught that course several times, and over the last decade, I basically spent a lot of time researching and trying to find songs that have Jesus in them in some way. And I found over 500 songs over the last 50 years by secular artists. And I had the opportunity to write a, a, an academic article about sort of summarizing what I'd sort of learned. And then that sort of turned into this culture article for, for Sojourners. Um, my original article is not necessarily focused on social justice, but Sojourners asked me to, to talk a little bit about that side of things. And to be honest, that's the connection between these songs and um, the biblical prophetic tradition, particularly one of advocating for social justice, is actually one of the most important things I found in this in this research, which we can get to if you want. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. So that's the first version. Well, that's great. And actually, I want to just kind of interject a little bit um, because I, I grew up in church, right? Um, and I always, in some ways, felt a bit alienated um, from my peers, my whatever, my contemporaries in church, uh, because I also never, I guess, say, quote unquote, got into um, Christian, explicitly Christian music, right? And um, now I grew up in a household, my family is all from West Virginia. I grew up in Cleveland. Um, but um, they came from there and they brought country music. So I grew up listening to country music um, and not rock music, but I discovered rock music very quickly um, in my teenage years and, um, and, and particularly gravitated towards punk music um, myself. And so that was sort of my the two poles of my, my musical education at the beginning. Now it's much wider than that now, of course. But, um, but yeah, there was something that was just unsatisfying, I suppose, about explicitly like music that was explicitly marketed as Christian music. And I remember going to Christian music bookstores and they said, you know, if you like this band, check out this band, they had these charts on the wall. Right. And, uh, and, and it was just sort of like worse versions of the same music. Um, and, and I have to say, um, and this was probably related to my choice to become an English professor. I actually found there to be more kind of spiritual material in secular art, um, than in this kind of, boiled down didactic form of art that um, so often typifies Christian music. And there are better and worse Christian bands, of course, um, as I've got, I, I eventually, as I got in college, someone introduced me to the band, the 77s, um, which I really love still to this day. I think they're great. And uh, so there are really good bands, right? That uh, I'm not, I'm not dismissing the entire genre, but there, I'm in the same boat as you is what I want to say is that I felt like there's something um, 
in in the way that it challenges um, the Christian worldview, it's more productive for the spiritual walk of the of the listener, right? And and so and that's to me part of the thesis, I guess, of this um, essay is that secular musicians given that they're not sort of insiders, they're sort of writing about it from at least the margins, if not completely outside, um, they offer this kind of prophetic almost voice um, for the Christian um, consumer, right? Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, when we talk about sort of a prophetic message, I, I, I have tended to use it as, you know, coming from the position of a member of that group. So like, it's a, like, uh, the Old Testament prophets were, you know, the jilted lover or the someone who wants to be, uh, wants God's kingdom to be the way that it ought to be and, and that they know God wants it to be, but it's not happening, you know? So, and so they, they prophesy and they say, here's what you need to do to change, you know, King Solomon, you know, don't, don't screw over the poor anymore. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot, a lot of the pop songs that have a social justice or a prophetic component are actually bands or artists that either, are currently Christians of some sort or were raised Christian. So they are formed by the, the language and the ideas. And frankly, if you're an ex-Christian, you're still writing songs about Jesus, you're still religious. You know, <laughs> let go. You know, you, it's just, you know, any therapist could say, dude, you know, like you haven't let it go yet. You know, this is like, if I could interject real quickly, this is my complaint with the quote unquote ex evangelical movement, right? Um, you're basically liberals who are Christian still. And, and either that, or you've got some serious daddy issues, like you're naming yourself after the thing that you hate. Right. And so, um, but that's a, that's a digression. <laughs> Excuse me. Go ahead. It makes sense a lot of ways. So like to a certain extent, there are, you know, there are artists that are Christian, like for example, you know, you know, um, like Nick Cave or somebody, you know, who's known as well known as a Christian, uh, but his music is not real super orthodox, but is saturated with Christian imagery and ideas. I mean, you two, of course, great example. I mean, they, they are, you know, practicing Christians. Um, at the same time, there are a lot of artists, again, that have left the faith officially, but are still wrestling in a very public way with the meaning of faith and specifically with Jesus. And a lot of the wrestling that happens is with um, with the church and essentially the way that the church has made the world into something that Jesus would reject. So that is prophetic uh, in that way, sort of strictly speaking. Another subset of these songs are songs that are um, not by Christian artists or, or by artists that never were Christian or who are distinctly anti-Christian, but their messages tend to be um, critical of the church and of the world the church made. So a band like Bad Religion, which has tons of songs about how horrible Christians are. Mm. I would say that the number one most interesting thing that I found in this uh, exploration of these 500 songs is that I found almost no songs by anybody that were anti-Jesus. All the songs that were negative about the topic were anti-Christians or anti-hypocrisy, which is ironic because if you were looking at Christians saying, you guys are hypocritical because of this, you're implicitly or explicitly saying that Jesus is actually a pretty good guy and his message is valuable, right? So, you know, a band like Bad Religion is song after song about how much Christians suck. But what they're basically doing is advocating for a, I mean, they're kind of doing what Thomas Jefferson was doing with the Thomas Jefferson Bible, right? And cutting all the things that he didn't believe about Jesus to get to the core of his message. Now, Jefferson was, he was anti-miracle, but a lot of bands are saying, you've professed to follow this guy who preached peace, 
and 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 love for the poor, you know, uh, Jesus would hate you. Uh, so it's pretty fascinating for me. So there are two ways of of, of this, that the social justice thing uh, sort of comes out in these songs. One is uh, um, by bands who are current Christians or former Christians, but who are acting prophetically, speaking prophetically. And then there are the, the bands that are anti-Christian. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think um, like sort of country music, I think, is probably a natural place to find the, the former uh, people who are sort of at least nominally um, believers. Right. And people like Johnny Cash is a perfect example. Right. And um, some of his like particularly 60s work is very sort of liberal in its politics. Right. Um, and that liberal attitude, I think, emerges out of um, a faith that he had from his youth. Right. And so he's a he's a good example um, from the country music um, spectrum. And I think you talk about him at some point in the article. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so and 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 from the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, there is. Um, I mean, a very kind of um, using Jesus to shame Christians. I mean, that's sort of like a, a, a modus operandi for a lot of bands. Right. Um, like, And I'm a big fan of Dead Kennedys. And um, and so, yeah, I think that a lot of the kind of culture like political observations and economic um, uh, observations that jello and the gang um, were making in that music i mean is stuff that is consistent with the kind of more revolutionary aspects of christianity 100 percent uh i think if jesus came down and looked at punk a lot of the political stuff you'd say yeah right on yeah yeah you know? And they think like straight, the straight edge movement, you know, in a sense, that's also, you know, from the, the hardcore bands that eschewed alcohol and, and even sex, you know, there's this sense of purity and intensity and authenticity that, you know, it's the same thing that a, that, a, that a really religious sort of fanatic religious person would frankly follow, you know, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's really, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. I see that in punk. Yeah. Well, I think what's interesting about these songs is that the ones that I looked at is that they use actually use Jesus as that linchpin or that, that pivot. Mm hmm rather than just having a message about we you know screw the rich yeah. you know it's jesus said screw the rich and his and hey what hey jesus hey jesus followers you are the rich <laughs> you know yeah i it's true right and, and at one point in the in the piece here you say you talk about the various ways in which um some of these songs depict jesus um some songs reimagine jesus as black gay female or korean Others depict him as a soldier, a presidential candidate, a cowboy, or a football player. Still others compare him to JFK, MLK, Hank Williams Jr., or even Hitler. Um, I want to hover on the JFK. Were you thinking of XTC um, with, with that reference? Um, I don't think so. Um, I'm, I can look. Uh, I have a song. I'm looking, I'm looking at my spreadsheet right now, a song called Easter Theater. Um, but I don't have a note there. But I don't know that song offhand. Um, well, well, thinking of actually, there's a different song that I'm thinking about. Okay. But. Well, I mean, and that's a, so XTC. I don't know if you listen to Andy Partridge and, and the and the boys, um, but a very famous kind of atheist anthem, um, "Dear God," sort of from yeah. earlier, and which is obviously positioning themselves as um, not only anti-religion but sort of purely atheist, but there's still a sense that they're atheists because of, I would say, misunderstanding of God's role in the world. But, uh, but because of the bad things going on in the world, there can't be a God. That's sort of the premise of that. And then later on, I don't know that they've given up the atheism, um, a song called the ballad of Peter Pumpkinhead. I don't know if you remember that song. Yes. Um, I, Jesus, but supposedly it's not. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, I think there's a lot of JFK imagery in that, 
in that song, right? Or at least in the music video. And but it's framed as Jesus' story as well. Um, and they sort of there's little references to nailing him to a block of wood and all that kind of thing, right? And so there is a way in which even atheists see the kind of utility, not the utility, I guess that's a terrible way to think about it, but the uh, the, the function, I suppose, of Jesus uh, as a redemptive force in the world, right? And, and so even that's a com- as a from a completely outside perspective. And for someone like me growing up in the church, hearing sort of atheists um, talk about my faith has this kind of um, challenge built into it. And I suppose that's the prophetic voice that we need to hear, right? Um, and it's just not coming from someone born in my tribe. Sure thing. And I think going back to what you're saying, MLK was a martyr for a cause with a message. JFK, again, gunned down early in his life, had a lot of promise, was was changing the world. You know, uh, soldier, uh, uh, Jesus oftentimes imagined as a soldier, mm. especially in country music. Again, someone who laid, to quote James Otto, who's saying soldiers and Jesus, he says, he laid down my life so we could be free, <laughs> just like Jesus and soldiers. You know, I mean, that that's, I'm not making fun of people from the South with that accent. I'm just being a jerk. Uh, I'm just doing. I'm from Maine, so I, I can't even close. But you know, so I think the idea of of, of someone who gives up their life to, for a message that 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 aligns that aligns very closely with the important notion notion of of extreme authenticity in a lot of pop music, um, uh, whether it's punk or hip hop. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea that you know what who you are and what you believe, and you're going to sing it from the rooftops and screw everybody else. Uh, Jesus did that. So did MLK. So did JFK. So did soldiers. Yeah, that's really, and I guess that comes um, to another point that I want to draw out of, of your piece. Uh, and when was this published? I'm, I'm sorry, I should have looked that up. It was in November sometime, wasn't it? It was in sort of the run up to Advent, I know. Um, and we're recording this about a couple weeks before Christmas. Um, unfortunately, this will come out after Christmas, <laughs> but uh, but you'll, you'll you'll still remember what Advent was. Um, so, um, but the um, one point that you um, kind of make is that there are kind of multiple ways in which Jesus gets imagined or defined um and often kind of in different um genres he looks different so he's a a certain way he looks in hip-hop and there's a certain way he looks in country which tends to look very sort of patriotic and uh and and white (laughs) as you would expect right um but i I guess i'm interested in the hip-hop version of of jesus because um I mean, it's not, it, there's a way in which Jesus fits with the kind of, um, in the, even in the gangster rap, um, variation of hip hop music. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so basically, um, in, in the, the academic article that created the sort of a paradigm for this piece in Sojourners, I, 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 ta- I basically identified that Jesus sort of shows up in three sort of main ways. And these are, this is on sort of the biggest meta level one is as a this is as a um just as a person uh simply a uh a, a, a human and there are not a lot of songs where he shows up in that way mm. um another is as a is as what i call a presence which is a, a real a source of truth a source of salvation a judge um these are songs in which jesus is really is it is it, it, stand, it sort of has this a powers like a presence in the song or or for the songwriter and most of the songs i discovered treat Jesus in that way. There are very few songs that just sort of throw Jesus, throw the name out there, you know, for something. There are some silly songs, you know, and offensive songs. But the category that, uh, in which the, Jesus shows up in, sorry, the category that is most common in hip hop is this third category, which I call a paragon. That is, by the way, you can tell I, I, I go to church because I've got three Ps, you know, person, presence, paragon, just a good sermon. 
I was super proud of that, by the way. You did. You passed homiletics. Um. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so in the Paragon, Jesus is, is not really a presence since that he's like a source of truth or a meaning or a judge or a savior. Uh, but he stands in as a symbol for the ultimate something. So, you know, Paragon, the ultimate. And in hip hop, um, a lot of the times uh, Jesus is standing is, is a paragon of power. So let's keep the P's going. Uh, most commonly in hip hop songs, the most common way Jesus shows up is by a rapper comparing him or herself to Jesus. Mm. Usually saying, I'm just as dope as Jesus. Um, or in some kind of amazing ways, you know, I, I, I'm trying to, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to find the, uh, the quote, um, give me just a moment because it's really, really worth it. I think it's, uh, I think it's big baller B, uh, the rapper, but basically he just goes on and on and says that, oh, I'm just like Jesus. Cause I have all the girls and all the money and all the drugs. I'm like, I don't think Jesus had those things, but, but what's really important uh, and, and here I'm paraphrasing the work of some really important black scholars that I really leaned heavily upon um, is that for a, 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 a for, for a community that has very little power, appealing to Jesus as this ultimate source of power is really important. Um, if you can refer to Jesus and say, Jesus, you're like Jesus or you, you're, you're participating in Jesus's power, you have some of that power yourself. So rather than a lot of these Paragon songs where, where a rapper says, I'm, I've got just as many girls as, as Jesus, again, makes you scratch your head. They're really not talking about the biblical Jesus, the person. They're talking about the, the uh, eschatological Jesus, that apocalyptic, the, 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 the Christ, the king, the one who already has the power. Right. So they're not talking about the kind of power Jesus had in on Earth. Even though they reference that power, that him on, on on the earth, right? They're really referring to the aspects of Jesus that are eternal and 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 eternally powerful, and they're participating in that to borrow some of that um, for themselves. If that makes sense, it yeah, it does. Um, and that's interesting. I, now that I'm sure that you've looked into this, um, but in the way that sort of like someone like Johnny Cash, you can sort of see. Um, a version of whatever kind of Pentecostalism probably he grew up in, right? Um, emerging in his um, uh, political theology of his of his music, um, I wonder how much of the how many of these rappers have a kind of experience in the black church um, that kind of informs uh, their 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 ideas of Jesus as well. Um, and, and I think that's that's really um, it's an interesting perspective. And I guess the point that I want to get to is how. These outsider perspectives, these kind of non-sanctified versions of Jesus, right, are, um, oh, I guess, disorienting to us. Um, and, and they sort of un- destabilize, to use an academic term, our kind of constructs of of Jesus that we have, um, that we can settle into without even realizing that they're constructs and they just seem natural to us. And so for me, um, and this is why I like to read someone like Kafka, um, because he offers these destabilizing views of the world that kind of shake things up and make it so that you can look at it with fresh eyes. Right. Uh, and I feel like this kind of music has always done that for me in my faith. Right. Um, even something like nine inch nails when I was, you know, in the nineties. Right. And so, uh, that, that was sort of a, a, a function, of a, a, a useful ethical function um, of, of art for me in that way. Absolutely. And going back to one of the first things you and I talked about, why didn't you or why didn't I really get into Christian music? And I would say Christian music as a thing, like not Christian music, but Christian music, yeah. right? Um, 
you know, there might have been personal reasons why, but fundamentally what's lacking in certainly worship music, but also a lot of sort of middle of the road, radio friendly, uh, crisp CCM is doubt <laughs> is, is kind of a, a realistic presentation of the reality of most of us with is a struggle for faith and a struggle or a struggle for meaning within our faith, a struggle to apply our faith to our lives. Um, now you start to get into the corners of like indie Christian rock and pop of the last 20 years, you get that. Um, what fascinates me is that a lot of pop music, and I, again, I use the term pop music to refer to all, all vernacular commercial music, um, not just like Katy Perry when I say pop. Right. I just want secular, non-classical music, basically. Um, um, I mean, this has been a huge, this, uh, this idea of, of, sorry, a lot of great pop music has explored spiritual themes and it has explored the big questions of existence since at least the 1960s. You don't see a lot of it in the in Broadway music of the 20s and 30s. You don't see a lot of it in swing music of the 40s. You don't see a lot of this in the rock and roll of the 50s. But once you get to the 1960s with the psychedelic era, with the opening of consciousness, with the embrace of non-Western religions, um, and, did I say drugs already, right? Uh, you were starting to get a whole theme or trend in, in popular music, um, starting in rock and, and psychedelic rock and progressive rock, but now everywhere in which, you know, even, even, you know, dance music producers or, or, you know, 16 year old punk artists will write songs about God, where are you? You know, yeah. like now God is on the table and God has been always questioned. God has always been explored with very, with a lot of clear eyes without a lot of fear by these secular artists be, because they're coming, they're not writing music for the church. They don't have to worry about scaring away people. Don't worry about not selling records to people who buy their records in the church. Don't worry about being excommunicated by their their pastor. Um, in fact, the more radical they are, probably the more they're going to fit into that image, the ideology of rock music as as uh, as revolutionary. Um, so, what ends up happening is that you know there's been there's a much longer tradition of really um, honest, authentic, and radical challenging of the received wisdom of the church. Something that the Christian music has rarely, has only recently caught up with, and even now it's just in like the corners of like indie Christian. Yeah, rock. yeah. yeah. Uh, immediately, what I'm thinking of, and I'm actually a defender of Bob Dylan's Christian face. I think there's a lot of great music there, um, but it does lack the power of his of his pre-Christian phase and probably post-Christian phase too. Um, and I'm, I, initially, I mean, immediately, I'm thinking of a song like "With God on Our Side," which is um, this kind of. Um, thoughtful rail against a prophetic rant against Christian nationalism, right? Um, and and I think that that's something that is only possible in that time period outside of the assuredness of the uh, within the walls of Christendom, right? And, and so I think that there's something um, um, obviously prophetic about Bob Dylan, just in the way he uses imagistic language and all that kind of thing. Um, but uh, Times of Freedom is another one sort of that comes to mind, right? Um, but uh, but yeah, so I think that there, there is a great tradition in uh, American popular music about that. Um, one, So I wanted to also, um, we talked earlier about Tom Waits. Um, I'm a huge Tom Waits fan. And uh, you mentioned the song Chocolate Jesus. Um, and that's always been a puzzle to me, actually. And so like, uh, I was thinking Jesus gonna be here uh, is the song that uh, comes to mind, which is sort of this blues song um, told by this kind of uh, 
a typical Tom Waits character, the sort of street urchin character who um, is, is who foresees Jesus coming um, in a in an old Ford, um, you know, as just like this big Hollywood star, right? But uh, Chocolate Jesus is an interesting one too. Did you have anything to say about that, or did you just? Um, so Chocolate Jesus is a tough one because, um, well, it's Tom Waits is tough because it's obviously, the music's very it's very psychedelic and in its own sort of weird way. There's a lot of symbolism in the lyrics. It's for me, it's kind of hard to tell what he's talking about sometimes. Um, and the thing about Jesus specifically is that he is a very easy and sometimes, sorry, using or referencing Jesus, oftentimes a very easy and sometimes even cheap way to inject extra meaning into your song, even though you don't know what you're talking about or what your message is. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's not forget, you know, there's a lot of bad, like, just bad pop music out there yeah. and a lot of lyricists that go for a cheap shot, yeah. you know? And so like I throw Jesus in or reference to crown of thorns. Oh my gosh, I'm being literary, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's fine. Um, but, um, so, um, you know, chocolate Jesus, I'm not sure if it's in that category. Um, trying to find a, a, a quote from the, um, uh, from, uh, from song that I can, that I can refer to. Um, give me just a moment. No problem. Uh, Right here again okay yeah so so for chocolate jesus uh you know what i like about like there are lines like now the son has died the father can be born if we'd all breathe in and blow away the smoke we'd applaud a new life you know kind of like i mean this so for me uh i didn't go deeply into the song but that clearly put jesus into the category of i would say the presence so here's which is engaging with jesus as, as specifically a, a source of, of truth or meaning yeah right which is one way to look at jesus it's a very different way of looking of thinking about Jesus. For example, a lot of metal songs see Jesus as an apocalyptic judge. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, a lot of country songs see Jesus as the savior who come down and, and give you your truck back. Yeah. You know, um, there's, these are very different way. Uh, what I call well, these are what I call the images of Jesus, right? Um, and so, chocolate Jesus is interesting because if you, in one way, if you read it, um, like the quote that I just said. Um, there's one way to look at it as as being somewhat cynical, right? Uh, but there's also way way of looking at it to, to see it as open to faith. And there's just not go on. <laughs> yeah, well, that's consistent with Waits, though. I mean, so many of his characters are fallen, yet there's like a hope for redemption, right? And so I think the way in which he uses. Um, religious and Christian imagery particularly is um, it's sort of like very non-orthodox a song like down there by the train, which Johnny cash covered at one point um, is a song that's got a really kind of unorthodox theology of redemption, but it's one that's desirable for these really destitute characters. Right. And so I think that there's a way in which he expands uh, the redemptive power. I mean, maybe not beyond what God can actually do, but beyond what the church normally conceives of of god doing right mm-hmm. um and so just some just wanting redemption is all it takes right for for a weights character and i'm not saying i disagree with that <laughs> i mean secular pop music has been has been this arena in in sorry i, I should move back you know over the last 50 years america has undergone an extraordinary process of sec- secularization and that doesn't mean we're less religious because we actually are. I mean, in some ways we are, but to, I mean, if you look at the numbers, there are more nuns and NES than there were Christians 50 years ago. But is the is Christianity or Christendom really less powerful in the public sphere than it is back was back then? I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of ways to explore the power or relevance of Christianity. Yeah. 
But what secular means, you look at a, you know, of course, if you look at a, um, a scholar like, you know, Charles Taylor, the secular age we're in is an age in which we no longer believe what we believe because our parents told us or because our community told us. Everyone basically has the, this is very Kierkegaardian here, right? Everybody has the responsibility and the pressure to decide for themselves what they believe. At the same time, our institutions are, are changing or crumbling or becoming much more, much less insular. You know, there are a lot, you and I have Nazarene experience. The Nazarene church doesn't nearly has, have as much that distinguishes itself from re the rest of American evangelicals than it did a hundred years ago, mm. right? When they were one of the first denominations to, to ordain women, for example, you know, that was very distinctive mm -hmm. so for, for a variety of reasons. What I'm trying to say is that, so where, where do, how do young people figure out what they believe? One of the arenas where young people have been doing it for 50 years has been through popular culture and they've been doing it by consuming music by those prophets whose words are written on the subway walls to quote uh the sound of silence by simon and garfunkel right by the by those prophets that are outside of the church um their music is suffused with biblical imagery and jesus haunts these songs uh and these songs wrestle so if you look at these 500 songs it's a place where generations now of 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 um religion adjacent young people have tried to figure out what they believe and and i mean there are a lot of more songs about god than there are about jesus mm. but god is a pretty slippery term it can refer to a jewish god it can refer to any kind of small g god but if you include jesus you are naming and claiming a, bi a biblical character and a, a real person um, which immediately brings you to the orbit of Christianity, which immediately brings you to the question of, do I believe it? Who is Jesus? And and so what? Yeah. Well, Delvin, I know that you have to get going and I really appreciate it. This has been a great talk. I just recently read um, your blog. You want to talk about your blog? You had a really great post about the Magnificat and the more kind of um, the radical uh, interpretations of that. And so um, you want to talk for just a minute about uh, your blog and how people can find your work? Sure. Yeah, I, I wrote it. I write um, the only music-oriented blog on the website Patheos, uh, which has a ton of blogs and all different kinds of religious traditions. Um, and my blog is called "It's." You can just look for my name, but it's called "Alleluia: Music and the Christian Life." Mm. And in it, I explore basically my thoughts about music and and Christianity, sacred, secular, classical, pop, anything, worship, non-worship music, etc. Um, and uh, I am a classical musician, and I wrote a piece for Advent recently about a setting of the Magnificat, which is, of, of course, Mary's radical uh, uh, song that she sings after visiting her cousin Elizabeth. Yeah. Basically, says, you know, Jesus is going to, this little baby's going to upend the, the way things are. Yeah. Uh, and I found a very dissonant, atonal piece of music from the 1960s by a British composer. Uh, and it actually was an atheist. I didn't even know this. Mm. Uh, uh, and it just, it's just a kind of it's a kind of piece of music that really encodes musically in musical language the revolutionary and and the revolutionary dissonance of Mary's message. It's also a song that doesn't ever let you go. It keeps you thinking, and it's pretty ab abrasive. Um, and so that's why I think it's important, especially for Advent, where it's a time where we're supposed to stay awake, yeah. keep watch. Um, at the same time, that connects to the pop music work because pretty much almost all the songs I look at in this article in this article are doing some are describing Jesus in some way that's going to piss somebody off at the worst and the best going to get someone to think and and defamiliarize someone um, 
in terms of their, I'm not saying this very well, basically challenge people's assumptions about Jesus or about what they've been told about Jesus so they can make it their own mind. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. And and I love the piece that you wrote about the Magnificat because it, it's an example of this kind of prophetic work um, originating within um, Christianity as well, right? And it's something that we don't do enough of um, in Christian art. And so um, you've, your work really does a great job of drawing that out of, of secular art. And it's an approach that I love. I just want to take this moment to uh, invite you back anytime. I'll probably call you uh, to come back and talk on music uh, sometime. This has been a really, really great conversation. I've uh, enjoyed it um, all together. <laughs> it's just been great. Um, uh, we're very simpatico in a lot of ways. And so I really appreciate it. Um, and so, yeah, check out your uh, your blog there check out delvincase.com is that uh, okay um and then you can find uh, all the not only popular but academic uh and creative work that you do as well there um delvin case thank you so much um for joining me today for another episode of the sectarian view podcast if anybody out there is listening has any questions feel free to reach out to us thanks for delvin case my name is danny anderson 